I'm going to read this, Revelation 2. It's, um, if you see the sheet I made, I kind of broke it down a little bit so that you can follow along. It says, um, to the angel, oh, I don't have this week's one. To the angel of the church of Thyatira, right? These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eatings of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches minds and hearts, and will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will, uh, to the end I will give authority over the nations. The one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Glad you came for such a calm week. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, we're just going through the word. I'm going to let the word go through us. Good, bad, ugly. Um, so like I said, every time that there's a scripture here, I want you to look at it through the ends of, lens of who Jesus is. The first part of every one of these is a revelation of Jesus. And, it, and that's where when we look at Jesus, it's so easy for us to make Jesus in our image. We have our own Jesus, and so we can say the word Jesus, and the word Jesus might mean a million different things to a million different people, right? We all have a Jesus in our life that we have for our hope, for our encouragement, you know? We all have a Savior, but there's one Jesus. It's a person, and he lived and died and rose again, and he calls us to not just use him for forgiveness and for the things we want when we're struggling, but to follow him and to surrender to him and to let him lead us. And so we have to always, we're, our image of Jesus is not just changing, but it's getting refined. And it's getting, it's getting more pure and more accurate, if you will. It will never fully be accurate until we see Jesus. But I'm encouraging you, we will see Jesus one day, face to face. And it will be beautiful, and it will be radiant, and it will be beyond anything right now we can think or imagine. Okay? But we have to get a view of Jesus in our minds now, because he's unchanging. He's the same. And so if it said something in his word of who Jesus was, that's Jesus, right? It's like Kevin said, we go through stages of puberty or growth, right? Natural growth, whether you look at pictures and you see that you're bigger and I'm sure more fit than you were before and have just, you know, I don't know. But like naturally we change, spiritually we change. So we're changing, but he's not changing. So that's encouraging, right? So we can look at him and whatever he describes himself to be, we can say, yes, that's him. And so the first thing it says is, these are the words of the Son of God. So Jesus is described as Son of Man and Son of God. Son of Man is the idea that he is fully man. He's fully human. He's fully like us. But a Son of God is not like us, right? Son of God is holy. Son of God is perfect. Son of God is blameless. There's been one Son of God. 
And that son of God will have authority over the nations. That son of God is the one who will sit on the throne, the one who will rule. There's one son of God. So now in this passage, he positions himself in light of authority. And this whole scripture is about authority. It's about spiritual authority. And it says that he is the son of God, but his eyes are like blazing fire. Isn't that amazing? Flames of fire. And eyes always represent vision. I know I keep saying perception, but it's always how he sees. And there's a purity of his eyes towards us. He sees perfectly, right? Where we see imperfectly, we can make assumptions that prove to be false, or we can have impressions that we are we're deceived. He's never deceived. He sees perfectly. And they're like blazing fire, right? I love that. They pierce anything. They look through whatever things we're hiding, right? Which can be good and scary at the same time. We're going to know the attention of our heart, but also we can't fool him, right? I remember one time when I was praying, I was saying, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. You know, kind of like reaching out to God. And I felt like the Lord whispered, Chad, I want to know you. I want you to share from your heart. And I felt like the Lord was saying that to me, not because he doesn't know me, but he wants me to relate to him in the intimacy that he already knows about me. He wants me to be honest and, you know. We can't hide him. It's like our kids talking to us and, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? You did it. I know you did it. Just honestly, right? And that's the father. I love you. My eyes see it. I'm not fooled by your little tricks, right? I see you. And I love you still and I see you, right? And it, the blazing fire of his eyes is also denotes passion. Passion is jealousy for us, right? He's intently looking at us. I love that. He's not just casually thinking, oh, these are, okay, these are, People that were born, I, yeah, I did create Adam. And I was like, these are the apple of my eye, my people. I love them. I care for them. I will go after them. I will rescue them. When they're grieved, I'm grieved. You know, this is the God we serve. And then it says his feet are like burnished fire, fine brass. And so um, the feet really symbolize victory. You know, feet. It says Jesus has the authority over the nations. He will dash them and he will rule over them. Everything is placed under his feet. And so it's this picture of what he sees is perfect, but also his feet, his authority is firm. His lordship is secure, right? It is secure. No one can move him. No one can shake him. He is established. And right now we can't experience that. We see it in some capacities. But there's a lot of the world that doesn't have the lordship of Jesus. But there will be a day where he will be lord of all. And his kingdom will never fail. His kingdom will never fail. And so he paints his picture at authority, and then he says, I know you. I know you. I love this. I know your deeds. I know your love. I know your faith. I know your works. I know your service. I know that you're doing more. You're increasing. So this city, Thyatira, actually is the most inconsequential city of all of them in, in the seven churches. It doesn't say a lot about them. They know it was in a valley. It was a trade city, so they had a lot of people coming and going. And so you see that there's a picture of mixture here that, that Jesus brings up. Um, but it also it says that they were, this, this actually scripture has the most positive elements, right? Seven positive qualities of the church, but it also has the most negative elements. So it's the longest passage, so that's why it's good to look at and see. And, but as we read this, actually I'm just going to read it, sorry. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. Okay. So he said all these good things, and I'm not going to say those right now, but I've said them the last weeks. But 
he sees our deeds. He sees our works. He sees our faith. He sees the, the intention. He sees who we are, that we're persevering, right? And I want to encourage you all in that. He sees your perseverance in this season. He sees the things you're holding on to. He sees the way you say yes to him when no one else sees. And that's why I was encouraging you in that because we can want affirmation from a lot of others, but, but the Lord sees. He knows. He's with you. When you wake up in the morning and you choose to follow him, when you, when you are in a conversation and you could say something and you don't, he sees that, right? He loves that. He loves when you just obey him in that place. And so I love that. Um, but then he says, the negative is, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. The interesting part of all of these through the churches is he gives these little nuggets. And when you read it, you think, okay, Jezebel. Who is Jezebel? <laughs> and last week it talked about um, Balaam, if you remember that, Balak. And it, so what Jesus does in here is he gives these little nuggets that are based off of Old Testament humans, people. And he does that because he doesn't want to explain the whole story to them. He, he's understand that they probably know the story. And he says the same thing that happened then is happening now. And that's why we need to know the word, because so much of the word, he'll throw out little nuggets or symbolic things, or he'll say the sins of whatever, sins of Jezebel. And that one story in, in the Revelation, it's like three, he gives us what, two, two sentences. He says, yeah, Jezebel calls herself a prophetess. It says Jezebel um, misleads my servants. So she's a teacher. She's given herself leadership. And she's causing problems. And so that's all you know based off of Revelation. But if you look in the Old Testament, there's like probably about 20 chapters in the season of life that Jezebel was in. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at what is Jezebel. Why is there such a problem with Jezebel? What did she do? What's the warning? And what did they not do? Because obviously Jesus views this in a very strong light, right? And what I want to do today is I want you guys to also see that so much of what we're experiencing in the church is there's natural and there's spiritual, okay? We see the natural things of life and the natural circumstances, but Jesus always sees things in the spiritual, and he sees things in light of spiritual warfare and spiritual authority, okay? Perfect example, a snake comes in your tent, natural snake, natural venom, he should have whatever, I don't know how you, I mean, he needs the crocodile hunter to figure out how to do that, right? But he rebukes the snake. That's not natural. You don't naturally speak to snakes. And then what's even crazier is the snake left. Like, I'm glad I can use this story, but it's like, it was a spiritual problem, right? There was witchcraft going on that was, had inspired and literally manipulated the snake, which is insane. So then Bob, not directing in a natural way, directed in a spiritual way and rebuked the snake in Jesus' name. Bob had authority based off of Mark. In the end of Mark, it says, I give you authority over snakes and scorpions to trample the works of the enemy, right? Oh, man, it's insane. As followers of God, we have authority. We have authority in the name of Jesus. We have power in the name of Jesus. But we also need to see there is another power. There is other powers, right, that aren't the name of Jesus. There's wickedness. There's witchcraft. There's demonic strongholds. This is not just a natural thing, right? Have you ever wondered that? Why is it it's so hard to read your word or get up in the morning or pray 
or be engaged with people, it's not just that your car might break down or you just get tired or whatever. Like, there's a battle for your hearts. It's a battle. It's a battle we have to understand. It's not natural. And we can get mad at each other. We can get mad at people around us. It's their fault. It's, you know, a lot of times, even in, I've seen that in marriage conflict, there's a spiritual warfare happening that we can think it's my, Michelle's fault or my fault. No, actually, we're like, it's not our fault or your fault. We're giving in to something that's powerful, and we have to, like, guard that, right? So that's what Jesus is addressing here. There's a demonic stronghold that he's calling Jezebel. It could be a natural person, but it's really talking about something that has been going on for generations that was getting in the camp and was affecting God's people, right? So I'm going to put God on the right. So here's what God says, and then I'll put, uh, should I put demonic? No, I'll, okay. My graph will make sense. God and not God, okay? You know how he says he's narrow, narrow road? And so we got God, what God says, and then everything else that God doesn't say, we'll just call it not God, right? So there can be, like, very good, right? And then there's good, okay, bad, and literally, like, from the pit, evil, okay? So, all right. So let's see who Jezebel is. Okay, let's go. Let's go into 1 Kings. And I did not put this on screen because I would have confused all of you by all this. We're going to go back to 1 Kings 11, and we're going to look at the initial roots of how Jezebel came to be. Okay? Okay, let's have fun with this. You'll love the message by the end of it, but at the beginning, you won't like it. Okay. So, 1 Kings 11. You, there's Bibles in the pews. There's small font. I'm sorry. Okay, are you guys there? Okay. So the story of Jezebel starts in the times of the kings of the ruler of Israel. Okay, and if anyone knows the story, um, the Lord had a prophet after God's heart. God wanted to be king over the people, but the people said, no, we want a king. We want a human as king. And they chose a guy named Saul who seemed good. So Saul would be over here, right? Let's say Saul seemed good. He seemed good because he was tall, handsome, he was a warrior, but he, it wasn't the Lord's pick. It was a good pick, and when times got tough, Saul went from doing, sometimes he did very good, but then he kind of did good, bad, okay. And so Saul never really followed the Lord. So then the Lord said, I'm going to give you a king after my own heart the young shepherd boy in the mountains, and his name is David. And he's going to follow me. He's going to serve me with all of his heart. He's a man after my own heart, right? David was imperfect, if you know the story. David did sin, but David repented. David confessed. David followed him. The Lord blessed him, and he said, I'm going to make your kingdom rule. You know, out of your line is going to come um, the ruler forever and ever. And so then um, David had a son. He was about to build a temple, and then he had a son named Solomon, Okay, I'll put Solomon over here. And Solomon was a very good guy, right? If anyone knows the Bible, he literally wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, Song of Solomon, right? He wrote these books. He had more wisdom than anyone. He chose the right things for most of the time. And then in 1 Kings 11, it says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. He had a woman problem besides Pharaoh's daughters. Not just one woman, 
all of them, Moabites, Ammonites, all the ites. He loved all of the ites. And then they were from nations which the Lord told. And so the reason this was a problem is the Lord said, no, you need to stay pure and holy. You need to be married. You need to be equally yoked to my people. Don't get seduced by women from other nations. Don't make partnerships from that. And Solomon, very good at a lot of reasoning, right? And uh, it's crazy because in Proverbs, you read these stories where it's like, my son, do not be misled. Do not go those ways. Stay this way. So he's writing all this awesome stuff. Like, they should have just said, Solomon, read your own writings, man. Like, Proverbs 6, you remember that? You know? But he didn't follow his own writings. And that could have been from, his, from David, actually. It could have been from his father saying, son, don't do this. But it says in verse, well, actually, verse 3, 700 wives. Oh, okay, now he's not. I don't know if that's as good as maybe okay. Ah, that's not that good. So let's say his whole life was classified, I'll just put an S, as a good life. He did some awesome things and then did some really evil things. So then he, he held fast to them in love, and Solomon grew old. His wife turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as the heart of David. He followed Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So then Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, has done. And so that's really what we need to know. You either follow the Lord or you don't. There's kind of not like, well, where are you on a standard? Well, I'm doing better than him, right? And that's where we can get in the comparison game. We don't have to compare ourselves with others. We follow the Lord. So you follow the Lord, okay? I want you to follow the Lord. I'm going to follow the Lord. Are we going to mess up? Yeah, but then... When we mess up, we don't justify it and then just say, okay, well, I think I'm okay. But it said he did not follow the Lord completely. And therefore, here's what happened. So Solomon started this mess of Jezebel. Thanks, Solomon. Um, verse 7, he starts building these high palaces. He starts making compromises near the end of his life. It's like, man, you got to stop, stop. And he didn't stop. And so then the Lord basically said, I'm going to split your kingdom in half. Because of your compromise, I'm going to give Jeroboam and Rehoboam. I'm going to give this um, Rehoboam basically two tribes. And so there's a guy named Rehoboam. I'll just say Reho, and then I'll say a guy named Jeroboam, okay? Jer Jeroboam, okay? So the thing you got to know is because Solomon got out of this follow, fully devoted to Jesus, he started this way of compromise and took a nation from fully devoted in the words of God and following him and being a, a nation after his own heart, to being a nation that God blessed, but yet there was some sin and compromise, and they didn't ever let it go. So Solomon started compromising, and then because of that, his own sons and the, the nation started living in compromise. And then it said there was a guy named Jeroboam. If you read at the end of 1 Kings 26, it says, Jeroboam... Um, Son of Naboth rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials. Um, let's see. Actually, we're going to keep going. Let's scoot the text over. Sorry, guys. Let me find my. All right. Talk amongst yourselves, actually. Okay, I found it. First Kings 12. Sorry, I was looking at 11. Go to 12. 26. So now you see this guy Jeroboam. 
And now he's been set as one of the main rulers now of Israel, okay? David, then Solomon, now Jeroboam. And it says here, verse 26, he says, Jeroboam, are you with me, 1 Kings 12, 26? Thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, and I don't know whose advice he sought, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel as far, and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he has made. And at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places he had made. Okay, so here's what you need to know about him. Jeroboam was intimidated by this holiness of God. He wanted a kingdom for himself, so what he did is he took the principles of God and he started slowly subverting them and manipulating them and twisted them. For example, there was laws of how priests should be brought up. Who could be priests? They were Levites and they had to be cleansed and there's a process. He just basically flipped and said, let's have some priests. Who wants to be priests? All right, you, you look good. You, yes, no, yes, no. Okay, we need priests. Now we need a sacrifice. Okay, there was a certain way they were supposed to sacrifice. There was a certain tabernacle setup, okay? And then there was a temple setup, and he was like, ah, let's build some more. Should have read the Old Testament a little farther, right? Because the golden calf didn't work too well the first time. Let's do two of them. So we got two golden calves, different places of worship. Uh, let's do festivals. Well, there were already set Jewish festivals that they were supposed to adhere to. All right, now let's do some festivals. All right, middle of August, let's do it, right? August, so then they did these, and, and so then they basically had their own festivals, their own priests, right? So you see what happens here is he was taking the principles of God and now starting to compromise, right? And starting to do his own thing. But now he's started connecting to this evil thing of Baal worship and the Asherah poles, but it's slowly compromising, right? Slowly, and it's just this flippant idea of do whatever you want, Right? And we have to be careful about that because we can think, let's not be religious, let's just walk in Jesus, but also we have to say, let's follow the commands of Jesus, okay? There wasn't just set up priests and leaders to do whatever you want, and there can be a lot of reactions in the body of Christ to things that are, that have been on one side religious to go totally like, whatever you want to do, whatever God you want to serve, just give me a name and we'll serve, you know? So he became very flippant and did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So then he did as he chose. I'm going to quickly go because there was about five other kings after him that did whatever they want, did whatever they want, did whatever they want, did whatever they want. And then he had a great, 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 great grandson named Ahab, okay? Ahab, bad. We're going to call Ahab bad, okay? Now, fast forward to 1 Kings 16. Go to verse 29, 1 Kings 16, 29. And if anyone reads the story of the Israelites, it always starts this way. It's the slippery slopes that goes this way. Slippery slopes, slippery slopes, slippery slopes. And the slope is going this way, folks. <laughs> okay? I don't know if you know that in your life. But when you stop following the Lord, like there's a slope that will not just bring you right back to the Lord. 
we want to pray for people, but there's a slope that just kind of slowly leads us this way. So Ahab, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over 20, in Israel, 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, right? So you guys see that? He said, oh, that was good. Oh, that was trivial sins. Let's go big. He, but he married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonites, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal and, that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings before him. All right. So if you see here, the leadership of the culture was deteriorating. The leadership, those that they looked up to, it was in compromise, compromise, compromise. But now Ahab formed an unholy alliance with this other nation. And the queen of it, I got to put her on the right side, man, she is, was Jezebel, okay? So when we hear you tolerate that woman Jezebel, here's the story of Jezebel, okay? She was not appointed the leader, right? He was appointed the leader. But he started doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, and then he connected with her. And from that time on, she wasn't given the place of leadership in, in that culture, you know? It was, it was the king who was given it, but she became pretty much the queen mother of the culture. And she started influencing and influencing and influencing, and she started influencing him. She basically made Ahab powerless. It says there that um, Ahab also made an Asherah pole, did more to arouse the anger of the Lord than all the kings before him. And the name Jezebel actually means, where is the prince? Which is kind of interesting. It's like, where's, where's leadership? Okay? And as I'm speaking this, I don't want us to get too much into, like, the fact that she was a woman. Because I, I feel like the, the, what's happened in the body of Christ with women, it grieves my heart, like, so much. And I feel like there's been this masculine struggle of, like, man, the man has to rule and reign and women need to not do anything. No. Like, God is calling women to come forth as leaders in the body of Christ and to be more, like, to be released to be who they're supposed to be. But it also is the man's job to help release the women, to help encourage the women and to speak life and to give them opportunities and to say, go for it, right? So this is not that. It's not about that, hey, women should not be, in, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that he stepped out of his role and got manipulated, right? And so then Jezebel saw the opportunity and she took advantage of it. And it was a wicked scheme of the enemy to start speaking into a whole culture of the Israelites, right? So now Jezebel starts encouraging things. And at the beginning, yeah, she's just the wife. But as it goes, she starts getting more power and more power and more power and more power and more power, right? To where literally the nation is, is afraid of Jezebel. And she goes from just helping have this nation serve another god to literally... Um, in 1 Kings 18.4, it says that Jezebel cuts off and kills all the prophets of the land. All the prophets. So it starts with this path of compromise where Ahab's like, yeah, we can do that, but let's do this. But now Jezebel is literally, if you want to say the prophets, she's attacking the prophets. She's killing the prophets. And Jezebel also sets up 950 False prophets, 400, I think 400 from Baal and 450 from Asherah, right? So she's trying to rid the land. And this is a demonic ploy, right? To rid the land of coming back to the roots of God and coming back to the roots of who he's called them to be. So she kills the prophetic voices. 
and then she's building this whole thing, and she's manipulating the whole system, and it's not just about the compromise, it's literally about control. She's controlling the nation. Who's supposed to control the nation? The Lord. But now she's controlling it, and she's controlling the voice of the prophets, which was God's grace to speak into them. And so the beautiful thing about this story, if we end it here, you'd be like, great, that's awesome. But when the story, as Jezebel increases, so the prophetic voice of the land increased. As God brought Je Jezebel, as, the, as Jezebel was brought to power, then there was Elijah who came into power. And if anyone knows Elijah, Elijah is the Superman prophet in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. He's the guy you don't mess with. And it said that Elijah saw what was going on. And he confronted, and I have a friend, Lou Engle, if anyone knows Lou Engle, he's like, the Elijah Jezebel showdown in America. He's all big about Elijah and Jezebel. And if you ever studied the story, this becomes a big deal, right? Elijah really doesn't fight Ahab. It says, in, as the story goes in 1 Kings 17, it says he, he confronts Ahab, and he speaks, and he tells Ahab, hey, the, the land is going to go barren because of the sin of the land. I'm going I'm to take this out. And he starts attacking in love to call people back. And if anyone has read the story in 1 Kings 18, Elijah literally tells Ahab, he says, bring all your prophets. We're going to have a showdown. And so literally, Elijah goes to this place and says, I want all nine, 950 of your prophets to come, and we're going to meet, and we're going to offer sacrifices to your God and to my God, and we'll see who wins. I mean, I love the story. 950 to 1 odds, right? And so he has them do the sacrifices. I can't tell the story. It's too long, but... Literally, they, they, they spend all day doing it. Nothing happens. Elijah makes an altar, pours water on the altar, more water. Lord, do a fire on the altar, okay? And then Elijah starts killing the prophet, the false prophets. Elijah says, we got to rid our nation of this. We got to rid our nation of this. So he saw it. But then Jezebel went back at him and attacked him. It's like a back and forth, right? A football game right here. Jezebel came back, and it says in 1 Kings 19... That Jezebel sent a message to Elijah, and Elijah got afraid. He ran for his life. So this spirit loves compromise and will use and manipulate people in power to get them to perverse the way of God, but also will try to intimidate you and others in your life and will intimidate the prophetic voices of the land. So Elijah had no problem confronting Ahab, but when Jezebel gave him a word, he started running away. He fled, and he totally, like, was powerless. And that's what a spirit of control and manipulation will do. It will rend your voice powerless. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you felt, like, intimidated or something came against you, and you're like, ah, and it has a form of godliness? Jezebel had a form of godliness, form, and it, you know, but there was a denial of the power of God, and it was wicked and manipulative. And I love that. And if you've ever read the story in 1 Kings 19, he was hiding, and that's when the Lord spoke to him. He did this whole story in 1 Kings 19 of like, he said, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And there was like a mighty thunder, but the Lord wasn't in the thunder. Earthquake, the was, Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then he says, there was a, a still small voice and the Lord was in the voice. The funny part is, if you actually read the story, you know what the voice said to him? What are you doing here? <laughs> it's like this, oh, that still small voice. No, literally the voice was like, why are you here? What are you doing, you know? It was like, Elijah, you're my prophet. You're mighty. I've given you authority to take out this spirit, and you're cowering in fear. 
I'm calling you to return a nation back to me. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> Love that. And so then Elijah goes around, and as Elijah is continuing to stir things up and to, to draw people back to him, Jezebel goes, continues to go. And so the Jezebel spirit will be one that says it'll continue to have control and power. And there's more stories in 1 Kings 21. There was a nice guy named Naboth, I think his name is. And basically, Ahab wanted to take the vineyard to make some vegetable gardens for his palace. And, and this man, I think his name's Naboth. And, and he says, no, God forbid the Lord gave me that. And Ahab goes back to Jezebel in the story and says, Jezebel, like, he said I couldn't have it. She's like, who are you? You wimp. Give me your name. And then she starts manipulating, writing documents for him. She's like, oh, I'm going to do it for you then. You, you're powerless. You're nothing. Right? And that's what happens even to, to men or women or leaders. It can speak this word of like, you're powerless. You got nothing. I'm going to do it for you. Right? So like Ahab had just surrendered all power. He's just a couch potato. Worse, you know, he's just letting it all up. Doing nothing. So she called him a wimp. And then they took the land. And then... Um, Later, there was a man named Jehu, and I'll get us here. Okay, now we go into 2 Kings 9. So, eventually in this story, Ahab was killed, and then they started having more kings. But you know what happened to those kings? Guess what? They never dealt with Jezebel. <laughs> they dealt with Ahab and Ahab's son, and it was like Ahab's grandson so they dealt with Ahab, but the Jezebel was less of a queen and wife of Ahab, but she was still in the palace. It says that she was still setting herself up in the high places. And at that time, it says that she was literally like considered the queen mother of the nation. So, and that's what I've noticed about the demonic realm is you can try to rid yourself of natural things, but there's a spiritual stronghold. Like you have to deal with that stronghold. You can't continue to tolerate it. And I think sometimes we can make vows or do things naturally but like, Jezebel was hanging out there misleading everyone. So much that she had eunuchs who were serving her day and night, okay? Eunuchs, castrated men. Don't need to talk about that. But literally, she had taken the masculinity of the nation and made these guys humble servants of her. But the good news is the Lord raised up a man named Jehu and says, I want you to return the nation to the Lord. And then in 2 Kings, he starts going, they call it Jehu's Wild Ride, <laughs> He starts going in, and the word Jehu means Jehovah is he. Isn't that an awesome name? Jehovah is he, and so he's trying to bring restoration. And he goes in, and, in, and he starts literally confronting, and he kills the, the leaders of the nation. He starts going to town, okay? But then finally, in 2 Kings 9, he goes and kills Jezebel. And the story is in verse 30. I know I'm going fast. Forgive me, but I'm trying to tell the whole Old Testament story in like half hour. It says, Jehu, 2 Kings 9.30, went to Jezreel. When Jezebel heard about it, she put on eye makeup, arranged her hair, and looked out a window. As Jehu entered the gate, she asked, have you come in peace, you Zimri, you murderer of your master? So you see that? She's trying to manipulate him. She puts on eye makeup, and some people think she was trying to coerce him. She was trying to flatter her. But I found the spirit of Jezebel will flatter you, will manipulate, will look good, will say the right things to your face, Right? And then it will deceive you, and it wants to kill you, and it wants to have control over you and everyone, which is crazy. But literally, Jehu then, he looks up at the window, which is awesome. All these eunuchs are up there who have been powerless. 
who is on my side? Who? It's kind of like the Braveheart thing, right? Who's on my side? And then it says, all of a sudden, he looked out. Two or three eunuchs looked down at him. Isn't, I just see a picture of, like, little scared guys, like, we're with you, you know, like, who's here? You know, these guys have been towering for their whole life. But, man, they rose up. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that give you hope? Some of us might feel like spiritual eunuchs have been powerless. But the Lord can, in one moment, can use you. And say, just stick your head up. <laughs> Three inches. I mean, you know, they didn't want her to see. I'm, I, I'm with him, you know. And then Jehu, two or three eunuchs looked down at him. And he says, throw her down, right? Jehu said, they threw her down. And then it gets crazy. Some of her blood splattered on the wall and horses as they trampled her underfoot. Jehu went in and ate and drank. Take care of that cursed woman, he said. Bury her. For she was a king's daughter. So he still gives her honor, which is insane. But then he says, bury her, bury her. She will destroy you. And that's what we need to realize is like this Jezebel spirit is a manipulative spirit. It's a spirit of control. And in the story in, second, in um, Revelation 2, they use this word tolerate. I wish I could put that. Oh, I'll just put it right here. Okay. And Jesus says, I have, you're doing good, but I have this against you. You tolerate, okay? You tolerate that woman, okay? You tolerate her, okay? Tolerate can look a lot of different ways, right? Tolerate, you can just ignore. You can just say, oh, it's just Jezebel. She's just hanging out. She's been here for 11 years. I mean, kind of owns a place, right? Um, but the Lord said, you tolerate her, Right? And really what it is is demo tolerating demonic strongholds. It's tolerating forces of wickedness and evil. And through small areas of compromise, she's leading people astray, continuing, continuing, okay? It's not a benevolent mission. And so we see that Jehu did not tolerate her. He dealt with her. He attacked her, right? He rid the nation. And then later in 2 Kings 10, he rids the nation of all the prophets, all the descendants of her, all the descendants. He, he clears it out. He purges the land, okay? And this is what we have to understand, that we live in a culture, even a church culture, that has a lot of mixture. It has a lot of mixture, okay? Are we serving the, the word of the Lord or not? And this is where we're, we have to be careful of what do we tolerate? What do we allow? What do we justify? What do we let in a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit? What do we hang out with other people? And we all, you know, I've noticed that there's even groups of people in the body of Christ that will... They all tolerate the same thing, then they kind of form their own group, right? And I don't want to be a people that just form a group out of what we are tolerating. I, Lord, what do you have? Who are you? Right? But we have to be careful because wickedness is very, it'll get in. Even then it says, she called herself a prophet. She misleads my servants into even this idea of learning the so-called deep secrets. And I would say this to some of us. We have to be careful because we I want to be spiritual, but we also can be too spiritual, we can get spiritual and look at all these other things because of, I don't know, the internet is wide and vast, okay? And so you can be looking at something, want a word of the Lord, but now you get a word from someone that doesn't know the Lord, and you can want your, all these signs and things around you, and it says there, be careful, don't get into the so-called deep secrets, okay? And I've also seen the spirit of Jezebel come into someone who acts like a prophet to you and tells you things that, no, I am the way, follow me. Here's some, oh, wow, she knew that about me, or he knew that about me, and, and it forms these cults that are based off of someone's word, right? The beauty of Jesus is we don't need to trust anyone else's word more than God's word for us, and if they say something different than us, 
we dismiss it with love. And if it's not love, we have to stand our ground, right? And if we see that in our midst, we have to be sensitive and say, that's destructive. That's hurting our body. And this is a word for the church, okay? If there's things that are hindering the body, we have to rid the body of it, okay? This doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're sinless. But it means we confess, we repent, right? Jezebel says, I gave her time to repent. And you guys know what I'm saying? You go from a soft heart to a hard heart to a really hard heart to an extremely hard heart, right? If you're wondering right now, oh, man, yeah, there's going to be areas that Jezebel misleads. Immorality, right? A huge area. And if your heart is soft, praise God your heart is soft. It's the grace of God that's making your heart soft, right? Confess, repent. Don't be underneath the slave of that, okay? Don't be under that bondage. Because I've seen Jezebel do a couple different things, and I'll finish soon, okay? Um, One is it makes men feel powerless, It makes men feel like, ah, I'm just capped, you know. And it really has taken the created image of God and makes it the form of a woman. And now we worship that woman as God, right? And so there's all sorts of perversion with that. And so we get underneath that control. Um, Also, it makes men, it's abusive. (laughs) It makes men manipulate. It makes men treat Jezebel, you know, things as objects for immorality. And for women, it makes, it has that whole flirtatious manipulation thing. It makes women feel like this is what you need to do to be successful, and what you need to do to get people to like you or have influence or get married or all that stuff. And it's a subversive form of using what God gave you to manipulate people based off of attraction. And it's, it's, a, it's a form of lust. It's a self-gratification thing, right? So I would just say for the men and women, don't let yourself be affected by that, right? Walk in humility. Walk in purity. Walk in sincerity. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Because this thing will get you. I see this happen in, the, you know, a lot of young adults. In, in that, they kind of get into, you know, be careful, guard your heart. Um, but we need to take care of her. We need to take care of her. We need to understand that Jesus doesn't want us tolerating this, okay? Tolerating it. Because he said there's a bed of suffering if you tolerate this. But the beauty of Jesus is, if we go to the last part, it says, to the one who is victorious, to the one who overcomes, to the one who does my will to the end, I will give you authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I also give that one the morning star. And so what he's saying here is, Jesus himself is the morning star, right? Jesus himself was the Savior who came to earth, and he will come back. But you are here, right? I'm going to put your names, A through Z, okay? This is where we're called to be. We're called to rule and reign with Jesus, We're not called to be bound by things. We're called to rule and reign with him. And so what he's saying is you can be victorious. You can overcome. You can defeat the enemy. You have power, right? Just as Bob had power to speak that. You have power, and I want to speak this over us because we can feel very powerless and very defeated. But there is a battle. There is warfare. And we have the the weapons of warfare to defeat the enemy, to defeat strongholds, to defeat systemic things going on in our generational lines, to defeat things going on in our culture, right? in our cities, in our neighborhoods, we don't have to look back and just say, oh, that's just how it is. Jesus says, I will rule. My feet are as bronze. I'm coming to rule and reign with the iron scepter. But the beauty of Jesus, he reigns in justice and in mercy and love. And he's not calling us to fight by who's right and wrong. He's calling us, who will surrender to Jesus? What does it look like in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven? Are you guys with me? But he says, you can overcome. To him who overcomes, I'll give you power over the nations. And that's the word of the church is, start walking in the authority I've given you now. Because I will come. I am the morning star. 
in a little bit, I will come back and rule and reign on earth. And then I will rule and reign in heaven, right? And so I believe that where we're at, even as a sanctuary community, I don't want to get too super spiritual about this, but I believe the Lord's using our community to challenge some of the systems that we've been in and we've grown up in and that the church is stuck in. We're called the challenge systems. I'm okay. And if you don't want to do that, I love you. I'm, I'm sorry that you're here. No, I'm not sorry you're here. But like, I believe there's systems that are hindering the people of God. They're hindering the church. And it's called, God wants the church to be made beautiful and glorious. And so let's challenge it. Let's bring a reformation to the church, right? Not just out of our own pride, not out of pride, but just out of saying, Lord, what did you say? What did you say in your word? And how can we do it? How can we be your church? How can we be your people? How can we be your disciples, right? And so um, it's carrying this message and it's living it. It's not legalistic. It's not out of, I'm more holy than you. It's just out of love. How can we fully follow what Jesus says? Get rid of all mixture. Get rid of all mixture, okay? But it'll make you probably feel weird when people talk to you and like, oh, wow, you're extreme. And I don't really feel like we're extreme. I just feel like we're normal. We're trying to figure out what normal Christianity looks like, right? And so, uh, but to do that, it's not just going to slowly go this way, right? Jehu didn't just go over and say, let's have coffee, Jezebel. Let me reason with you. Let's do some counseling. No, it was pretty extreme, right? And I would just say that in your life, as much as you can, Lord, help us. And I love the picture of the eunuchs. <laughs> eunuch one, eunuch two, I'll say three, right? And I believe, God bless, there's a cord of three strands that's not easily broken. And so even if you feel like a eunuch, if you get in community, there could be strength in that community, okay? Because you can't fight this on your own. You can't fight some of these things on your own. We need each other. We need, and that's the biggest fear is, oh, they're not going to understand. Like, yeah, we are all messed up. We've said that, okay? But we need him, and we can walk with each other to bring freedom, right? God is calling us to be victorious people. And so this week, we're going to pray for that, and I just encourage us to live that. Say, Lord, show us how we've, we've allowed toleration into our life, how we allowed it. Let us be sensitive again.